Welcome to the Youthscape podcast, the podcast for Christians who work with young people. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of the Youthscape podcast, the now weekly podcast. It's going out every week at the moment. Uh, with me, Martin Saunders, my good friend and long-term collaborator, Rachel Gardner. We talk about youth ministry. We talk to people in youth ministry. We are handling some of the tough questions in youth ministry. One of them for me is, Rachel, why so many balloons around your head? <laughs> well, I'm recording this from the deepest, darkest south. I'm in the south, people. <gasps> You're and, in the um... south! I'm in the south and I've brought the kids. It's half term. I've brought the kids on my own down to Ashburnham, the deepest, darkest south where my family live. And this is how my mum rolls. So my mum says, oh, you're going to come down for half term and your brother and his kids are coming for half term. Let's celebrate people's birthdays. And basically, my mum actually means let's just celebrate everybody because everybody will have a birthday in the next 12 months. So the balloons behind us are, it is as arbitrary as that. Like, so last night, Perpetual we birthdays. just celebrated birthdays. We were like, say, mum, who's? She was like, oh, I don't know. The, the boys, you know, daisies, maybe yours. Let's just celebrate them all. So oh, lovely. Last night, we just had a celebration. But no no presents, just lots of party games. What so yeah, it's balloons. I, I well, I'm doing this from the church office at St Mary's Rygate. It's got that feel. I mean, the youth office that feels like a very, like, um, uh, what's the word? Authentic place to be recording a youth ministry podcast. Right? I'm in the office. Let me tell you a little bit about it. It is you may you may know this, guys. If you share a youth and children's office, um, there is so much rubbish in here, and it's all the children's ministry's fault. Right. <laughs> There are just like cupboards and cupboards full of nonsense, ribbons and balloons and lolly sticks and felt letters. And there's a whole box here that says scrap sparkly bits on it. Who needs any of this? This is why I don't do children's work. There's a stuffed toy pinned to the notice board behind you. I nailed it there. Yes. I was going to say that's not a children's that's work. Actually a puppet. It's a flipping puppet. There's puppets everywhere in this room. Honestly, it is like it's slightly like a low-key horror film at times. Let me tell you something else as well. I've just seen this. You won't I've never talked about this before. Um, with anyone actually, weirdly. Um, so uh so oh, it's a real shame. It's a real shame this isn't a video podcast. What what I've got here, I'm I don't think I've I literally have never spoken to anyone about this before, is on my desk here at the um uh St. Mary's Rygate Youth Office. There's um there's a little Lego spaceship, little white and black Lego. So it's not very big, um, and I ordered this when I kind of you know let me say I feel that the Lord gave me a bit of a vision for satellites, the satellites festival, and so um so the reason I got this is because in the back, if you can see, of course, gentle listener, you can't see, um in in the back it opens up and it launches oh a little it satellite. Oh, look at that out of its yeah. bum. Bottom. out of its bottom and a little a little a little sass I mean it doesn't do anything it's only about six pieces of lego but um but I have it on my desk and I had it on my desk for the last five years to remind me that my job was to launch satellites um and we did we did launch it so 
So there we go. It's not very interesting, but I just thought I've never mentioned that to anyone before. I probably should bring it up. That is absolutely beautiful. A little reminder of what God does. This is the podcast, the episode, the podcast episode, where we're going to drop a lot of big terminology. Are you ready for this, Martin? Because the guest that we have today um, spends a lot of time doing youth ministry and thinking about youth ministry. And it, it, it was an incredible experience. Literally, it felt like I was being sat at his feet learning so much but he does drop some big words but we do drop some good words and I think it's it's um we we talk about them um on the podcast but I think it's really good that we kind of develop a strong language to talk about youth ministry because I I think we're going to get into the interview in a little bit and as you guys listening know which we're talking about some of the challenges that we face on the ground in our everyday work among young people serving them um but but really this conversation is about ecclesiology like what do we understand by the idea of church and what is it that we think we're doing when we are hanging out with young people like when is it not church and when is it church and is that a helpful binary a helpful distinction so I've been in youth ministry a long time and I have to say a couple of times this interview I was like oh man oh gosh, I haven't thought about this for a while. I haven't really interrogated for a while what I think about this. And at one point you hear me getting a bit defensive because I'm like, hang on, hang on a minute, back up there, Passmore. Give me a chance to breathe. I'm not sure I agree with what you're saying there. So it's a really good, it's a really, really good discussion that I have with someone who is just, he just thinks about this stuff all the time. He's so, so brilliant and interesting on ecclesiology. And you are talking, uh, in fact, we're going to get into it. We're going to get into it and then... Then we're going to have a slightly out of date conversation about the Asbury revival, <laughs> but um, but it's worth just saying if you don't know who Richard Passmore is, oh, you this, need to know him. This is an absolute giant, He's a legend amazing. of Christian youth mm. work, and he has been doing this and thinking about it and training people and and doing the hard yards with young people and youth leaders for decades. I don't want to make him feel yeah. old, but decades longer than us. Um, and he is a bit of a guru, and uh, it's amazing that we've managed to get him on the podcast yes, at long last. So, so let's listen to it. Let's let's uh, let's find out what happened when you sat down and had a bit of an argument with <laughs> the legend, Richard, the legend Richard Arsmore. <laughs> Richard Passmore lives in Cumbria, so not a million miles from me in Blackburn. So, Richard, welcome to the Youthscape podcast. I want to open by asking you, do you want to now air some humble brags about how many hills you've climbed this morning? What, what is your humble brag about being an outdoorsy man? I'd love to say I have some. I don't really. I, I, I go for walks where I can do most of the hard work in the car and get high. And then a walk that I only have to kind of walk an hour and a half to get to the peak or whatever. So that's my favourite kind of walk, to be honest. But I did do Helvellyn in the snow a few years ago with my son. We got halfway up, but it was too dangerous. So we had to kind of turn back um, because we didn't have any ice axes with us. Um, But um, other than that, no humble brags, I'm afraid. But I, I love being out in the hills. And my church community is Mountain Pilgrims, which is one of the fresh expressions we've grown up here so oh fantastic so so for those listening in that might occasionally go to the lake district for a little holiday 
and they think that the whole place is full of like um Beatrix Potter type houses, which I mean it, there's a lot of beautiful houses, aren't there? Um but tell us a little bit about the context about youth ministry in Cumbria, such a diverse sort of area, isn't it, in terms of poverty, wealth, rural, seaside. Talk a bit about the context if you would. Yeah, I mean you've you've nailed it. It's really diverse. It's villages, towns, cities, um across the whole county. I mean, it is really challenging in some areas. There's a 20-year life expectancy difference between some of our poorer communities of suppressed potential and some of our richer parts. Um, there's a an aging population. So I kind of landed as the Fresh Expressions enabler here um, nine years ago. Uh, no, not nine years, seven years ago. And um, I... Part of my brief there was to work on Network Youth Church, which had just been established uh, before I arrived. And we have this ageing population. And so they'd done a piece of research uh, to see how many young people were in Anglican churches. Uh, there was 280 across the whole county. Um, and clergy tend to often have quite big families. So quite a lot of those were clergy kids. And um, oh, wow. one youth club was 80-odd young people. So it wasn't a lot of new young people. So they set up Network Youth Church, <clears throat> which really was trying to adopt a fresh expressions model of church with young people. And they'd appointed a youth worker in each deanery. And I was kind of responsible for supporting that and helping it grow and develop and emerge. And that's been an amazing story of youth workers coming on a journey with us and with young people and um yeah there's a couple of thousand young people involved now um who would call it church and um yeah it's great wow so you've gone from 280 to a couple of thousand that's that's no mean feat is it sort of with covid and and all the challenges around stuff that's absolutely incredible but you you've not just done youth ministry in cumbria have you or with fresh expressions could you just give us a little plotted history richard of you know, without me wanting to say, you, you know, you're a sage warrior in the youth ministry world, like you've been around a bit, but you are like, you are somebody that this is be this is your calling until the, you know, until the day you have your love, your final breath. And I think that's what I really admire about you and chatting with you. So tell us a little bit about the evolution of your, of your story with youth ministry. Yeah. So I kind of became a Christian at 16 and had a careers chat with God about what I could do and might do. And, um, that's the easiest way to describe it. Left my job the next day and started training to become a youth worker. Um, at the time, I was also running with a bunch of friends, our local ecumenical youth club. Um, and we took on this thing called Rock Gospel, which was like a concert for 3,000 people. Um, and Frontier Youth Trust was kind of the only agency back in the 80s willing to uh, kind of back a bunch of teenagers running a, a mad concert uh, for several thousand people. Um, uh, that went on to become Cross Rhythms and all of that kind of thing. So that was back in the 80s, um, well, late 80s. I'm not that old, but I am old, but I'm not that old. Um, and then um, I, moved, I trained as a JNC youth and community worker uh, before there were any Christian courses. And... Um, then moved to live in a shed in Devon for a while, set up a youth project there, then moved to Youth for Christ, living and working on an estate um, and really developing detached youth work. That's my kind of passion and 
backing. Um, after that, I uh, went to work for Worth Unlimited, where I was kind of asked to either shut it down or make it work. Um, and uh, and then uh, Frontier Youth Trust full time with teaching at the Centre for Youth Ministry because that was just emerging. Um, and basically, it was a way for FYT to pay me a salary if I did a bit of teaching. Uh, and then lastly, I worked full time with Frontier Youth Trust setting up street space around the country, which was really kind of where emerging church and youth ministry met um, mm. and kind of but all of that time working on the edge with young people. Um, and I'm probably best known for developing the Church of Flow with a group of skaters down in Somerset. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then I moved here. But wrote a few books on the way. I, I think people listening to this who maybe have not heard your name, you may, many will know your name, um, but maybe have not heard your name, will recognise the, the pieces of work that you've done in those different places. I mean, you've been everywhere. Worth Unlimited, Youth for Christ, Frontier Youth Trust, Church of England. So it's re- it is really exciting talking to you. Before we get on to <clears throat> digging into the particular challenge for today that we're thinking about, do, do you have an answer when someone says to you, Richard... What does it take to have longevity in youth ministry? Do you find yourself having to actively choose youth ministry at different stages or, or has it not been like that for you? What has it meant for you to have longevity? Yeah, I think I think I have. So for quite a while when I first moved up here, I wasn't involved in any face-to-face youth work. I was just supporting Network Youth Church. Um, a couple of years was a year and a half ago we started a detached work project it just kind of but that has to be a kind of deliberate choice to do that in my extra time um as a kind of volunteer so i i volunteer in that i think the key thing really for me which i'll probably talk about a bit more as we get into it is developing a missional spirituality where actually how you approach the work and the young people is feeding as well as giving and it's not this kind of you're serving over there and you're receiving over here um and i think that's been really important for me in kind of keeping going and what that means and mm. so to get into then what we're talking about we're, we're talking about how do you lead face faith-based youth work uh, when you no longer believe that the church is good for young people quite a controversial statement some people will be tuning in to get the answers others because they want to pick a fight with you what what is it that you you mean in in that distinction of faith-based youth work and church how are you sort of defining both of those for you before we even get stuck into like what are the challenges and how do you do it so you've been involved in parachurch youth organizations as well as sort of mainstream church denominations when you've said that phrase how are you defining faith-based youth work as separate to church yeah i think a lot of it kind of connects to the story with young people. And I think that's really important that this has grown out of what I see God doing in the community. And FYT was kind of really key back in the early days for me in giving a theology and a missiology that started to really value young people. And um, But what I noticed was that whatever I was doing, some sort of church was forming around what it was that I was doing but back in the 1990s <laughs> back you know all of those that long ago uh, we just didn't have a language for that and um, but as the emerging church and worship scene kind of came on board 
we started to see that language emerge with fresh expressions and it gave a kind of important spin on that um, so when I talk about church not always being the best place for young people sometimes that's church as we know it I don't think theologically church is a bad place for young people at all I think it's an amazing place of joy and grace and uh, deep magic and um, and I love the church uh, but I think often we have to be very real for some young people church is a toxic place they're not accepted they're not given the space that they need they're not loved in the way that they should be loved and so I think there's two differences there so I'm not talking about church as a concept um, when I when, when we're kind of using that language um, but I'm talking about how do we really help the church thrive as the bride of Christ to be all that she really can be um, with young people there's interesting pieces of research that kind of knock around aren't there so I can't think where I can <clears throat> source this one from but uh, recently read that Gen uh, millennials are least likely to believe in God and Gen Z, so under 19s, are, are most likely to believe in God, but least likely to see church as a place to explore a relationship with God or explore spirituality. So it just seems like it's a really pertinent conversation for now, for our understanding. If, if, if we are asking big questions about the institution of church and what does it mean for church to really be... Um, an active agent for transformation in young people's lives in terms of their spirituality and well-being. Um, how do we help young people reimagine what church can be? And I guess you've always been a little bit at the fighting edge of the battle area for that. You're willing to ask those big questions. So, so for you, how do you handle that tension when, when you're thinking about discipling young people, either from a no church background or, or any young person really, and, and realizing the tensions and struggles they have with the institution of church, how do you sit in that gap? So you've been really positive just now about, well, church, I, I believe church is good. But, but what do you do in a situation where you're with a group of young people and their experience of church has been toxic or is toxic? Um, and you're a safe space for them to explore their Christianity, their spirituality. How, how, how do you manage that, Richard? I guess there's a number of people listening to this that might be in that same space. How do you keep developing young people's spirituality with them while at the same time sort of shelter them from a church that's been painful for them while at the same time believing in church how, how do you navigate that yeah I, I think um it's really important that we <clears throat> think about we think we, we need a stronger ecclesiology we have quite a weak ecclesiology of a theology Can you just, of what for is, the sake of those that don't know this ecclesiology is an understanding of a, a theology of yeah, church what church yeah. is who church yeah, yeah so lovely. that's quite weak and i think what what we've seen happen is we've seen all of the kind of amazing strides of kind of mission embracing the missio day of recognizing that god is already active and at work in the lives of young people and and kind of trying to get in on what god's doing um and that's essentially what's going on with why that group of young people are gathering around with that youth worker you know and uh but then at the same time we kind of that becomes limited because we have this kind of weaker ecclesiology um kind of in my first book i meet where they're at i used the quote and probably made it the popular quote which was um from vincent it's not vincent donovan it's a student reflecting on vincent donovan but oh, it's right, yeah. in working with young people do not try to call them back to where they were you must have the courage to go with them to a place that neither you nor they have been before 
And I think what we need to really embrace is that the relationship with time-honored church is tricky, but the relationship with church as a kind of theological entity and a living, holy thing is really life-giving. And um, uh, and so how do, the thing we need to do as youth workers is have the courage to go on that journey with young people and drop that kind of dualistic thinking that what we're already doing isn't church. Um, I'm sure there's loads of youth workers who've done a residential or uh, been in a session where they know that it's, you know, Celtics describe it as the thin place where heaven and earth are really close. And and you kind of feel, you think, oh, this is what church should be. This is this is it. You know, this is the real thing. But still there's that nagging doubt or your employer sees church in a narrower way. Um, but you really know that there's something real here. And it's having the courage to pursue that with God and with the young people, I think, is really key. Um, navigating that in the system isn't easy, but I think there's a way to do it. And um, and I think we need to think about how we do that, really. I've, I mean, I've got loads of super practical questions I'd like to ask you into that, because I guess, like, instinctively, as youth workers, we we are deeply relational. We love creating third spaces or you know, safe spaces, whatever phrase you want to use, for young people to, you know, it, it, it bring their real lived experiences to a real living God and, and see what happens when the gospel takes root in their lives and, and you know, do as much as possible to make that an authentic space. Um, I guess that the challenges are things like, how do we prevent ourselves inadvertently then creating youth church? So, if, so I'm just thinking last night, I was running a drop-in project with some volunteer youth workers on our estate we feed them food. We pray with them if they want to be prayed with. I, I sat, you know, it's a freezing hall. I sat against the only radiator that was heated last night, having massive chats about wicker and witches and the ghosts that this particular young person sees in her house. And we talked about whether God could do something about that if she wanted him to. And is he powerful enough for that? Like Amazing theological wrestlings. We chatted a bit about Jesus. None of it was formal. None of it was structured. It was, but it was a really thin place, like you say. And, and it was really calm. And then the moment it finished, adults and young people are running in off the estate saying, someone's got a knife, someone's done this. And suddenly the chaos of life comes in again. And, and part of our hearts as, as youth leaders is to try and hold this little group and just do stuff with them. And the danger is it becomes then basically a youth church and then it grows as this little insular therapeutic group and isn't very missional and isn't intergenerational so how do we how do we engage young people in a space that is a thin place that is maybe separate to our formal church worship but doesn't become a kind of a youth church model that is separate to the wider church that we're part of I think you're making a lot of assumptions there, Rachel, about church needing to be intergenerational as a single entity. So um, actually, most churches um, are singly generational, but they're old generations. And mm. the, rea the reality is, is it's about how do we think about different spaces and a mixed ecology of church that makes up what church really is. And when we begin to kind of develop a stronger ecclesiology that actually makes space to go on that journey with that group of young people like you described now, i'm not saying they shouldn't be connected to the wider church and that they shouldn't be part of that wider church 
but to think that we then have to have this space where we do church with everybody in the same space in the same way i don't think is as biblical as we think it is i think you know antioch was different to jerusalem jerusalem was different to corinth and that you, you could even pushing the ecclesiology you might even say they believe different things and um and i think we need to kind of understand that church is much more we've disconnected the journey from the destination and we've disconnected the journey and the process of being church from the destination of what is church and so what what we end up doing is we we have a fixed ecclesiology that puts a lid on what God is doing in that group with your thing. So your fixed, your your. If I was going to really push you, I'd say your fixed ecclesiology that church has to be intergenerational stops you from really going on the journey with those young people um, to a place that neither you nor they have ever been before. And that place might be a youth church with that group of young people. That doesn't mean they're not connected with everything else that's going on in your estate and the church in that place. I just think we need to throw more parties and have less services so that we throw those parties where those different spaces come together as church. It's a bit like, you know, we often talk about church as family. And I don't know, my family is a, a mixed bag. And, you know, when we get to, when we used to get together at Christmas, we'd have, you know, auntie meter getting drunk in the corner and brothers and sisters and everybody cramming around the dinner table getting out the piano stool and all of that kind of stuff and that kind of worked but if we tried to do do have big discussions or get into everything then that doesn't that doesn't work you know and i think we need to kind of recognize the complexity in that and mm. allow space for for that to happen um I think we need to be really intentional about so an example would be when we developed the church of flow with skaters in um, Somerset I, I that kind of came about kind of by applying good mission principles to youth ministry I asked a young person what's it feel like when you skate and ride he says I just forget all the shit of life and I just flow so I said mm -hmm. I think that's God can we go on a journey to discover what that is and then together we grew the church of flow and as that grew, the ministers in the town said, well, will the young leaders come to our ministers fraternal? And that was a joyous gift to offer, but it wasn't the right space. So instead, what we did was we, uh, they agreed to drop their kind of Lent course and instead throw parties at Lent where all the churches in the communities come together. So they were part of this intergenerational community amazing. but it was in a different space amazing and i love it that you've challenged me it's a strong challenge can i be cheeky richard and bring a strong challenge back to you is that all right yeah because i guess when i'm sat with these young people my assumption of intergenerational church is not that somehow this group of young people then will access adult church that's a kind of a fixed boring thing so in in a church in our church plant model or, or in a imagination of church you've got these single gendered or single um sorry single generation spaces um 
But but what if the church that you are seeking to grow together is much more dynamic? So thinking intergenerational isn't how do we get these young people into this adult church thing over here, but would a fuller expression of us being church mean that 13-year-old Kenzie and 97-year-old Joyce, when they stop and think about being part of a Christian community on our estate, they imagine in their minds all generations because they see themselves as part of this this wider thing. So I'm just wondering, it's just, you're right to, to say, let's question our assumptions because I think it can cut both ways, can't it? So how how would you advise a youth worker who is working with um, a, a group of young people who've seen God do amazing things in them, but maybe is part of a church that doesn't really want to change <laughs> the, the institute or the culture or the set way of doing services or whatever it is. How how does a youth worker who can feel quite powerless in that setup? How how can they have those conversations and begin to have those conversations with with leaders or their boss or whatever it is? How how would you suggest they start? Yeah, I think I think there's two part to that probably um uh, the first is tricky but i think part of the issue is is a lack of spiritual maturity on all sides really i think and i think we don't really trust god enough to really let the indigenous spirituality of young people fly um and uh then we don't enable those young people to identify their own faith story in the light of the Jesus story so if we can kind of create that space that becomes really important so I I believe God's doing amazing things with young people at the moment um, outside of church that you know they've been challenging exclusion we owe a huge debt to young people for helping us wake up to climate um, wake up to the injustice exclusion homophobia and I get really cross um, that's that's me trying to do a podcast without swearing. I get really cross <laughs> when um, uh, when people use you know this idea that being woke is an insult. Um, mm. And actually, we've got huge we are a huge debt to this generation. Um, mm. That doesn't mean that anything goes or rampant individualism is isn't an issue. And um, we need to use the cultural criticism that young people are bringing, but actually recognise the the gift that that is and the holiness that that is as we kind of faithfully improvise church between that culture that God is drawing out of young people, the Bible and the Christian tradition. And that's the, that's the space we need to be in, this, this space of faithful improvisation and kind of really engaging with what God's doing with young people. And what tends to happen is is our how we're brought up influences how much we get pulled to one part of that triangle. So I came after I came to faith, I went to a brethren church. And so the Bible was kind of that's where I got drawn, you know, and in that kind of faith, that was really important. So I think we need to have a really good conversation about the gift that, that is to the church with our church leaders and have the courage to do that and then on the kind of that maturity bit this is the second part i think which is i think we conflate spiritual maturity with knowledge and spiritual formation in youth ministry too easily becomes about young people believing the right thing so we don't really give them the space to breathe Um, and again i kind of say most of us don't really trust jesus enough 
um, uh, you know, that when he says, if you seek, you'll find, we're not really prepared to go on that journey to a new destination um, with young people. Our, our point of the triangle can kind of stop us from going on that journey and faithfully improvising. And so that's where that weak, weak ecclesiology that I've mentioned really comes from. We've disconnected church mission. Um, and, um, and because of this, kind of our, our knowledge-based approach to church, i.e. that church is this, rather than our, sorry, another long word, rather than our ontological approach that, you know, church is about encounter and all of that, um, have become our, our predominant value. So church has become about knowledge and, and we conflate spiritual maturity with knowledge rather than spiritual maturity with encounter and who God is and being with God and being on that journey with God. And that's really what limits the possibility. So if in your construct that you've got going on in your church, it's about that encounter and ontology, um, then that's cool. Um, but actually making space for that to really fly with the old lady and the young people is the important thing and trusting God along the way. Um, because otherwise, you know, as soon as you start saying church has to be this or has to be that, that's when you put the imaginary lid on it. Um, rather than recognizing, you know, Ephesians, it's a mystery. Um, and that it's a lot more than we could ever think or imagine, really. It's something very, very special, church. You've used some beautiful phrases, um, improvised. What was that phrase you used? We're in a space of... Faithful improvisation. Faithful improvisation, yes. Could you just talk into that a little bit more? I've, I've heard that phrase a few times used, but just hearing you use it now, explain what that means in terms of our youth, youth ministry. So N.T. Wright kind of, it's not me, it's N.T. Wright. Um, and um, he talks about if you gave a, a play, a Shakespeare play, so, so say they discover a new Shakespeare play in Anne Hathaway's cottage, but They've got Act 1, 2, 3, and 4, but the pesky mice have eaten Act 5. But they've got Act 6. So if you gave that to the Royal Shakespeare Company, they would be able to faithfully improvise what Act 5 needs to look like. They know the story. They, they've got the culture of the day. They've got all the tradition of kind of Shakespeare, and they faithfully improvise in that space. So what we need to do is recognize that we kind of know how the story starts and we know how the story ends. We've got the Bible. We've got that bigger narrative uh, we've got 2000 years of amazing christian tradition that actually when we mine that um, we recognize that church is much more than what we think it is um, and alongside that you've got a whole load of resources there to faithfully i love doing silence with young people you know getting a bunch of semi-stoned young people to lie in silence under a tree when you're doing detached work can be a mind-blowing yeah. experience for both of us um, <laughs> Uh, but and then the culture of young people and what God's doing in that culture because God is active and working you know that missio day thing so you, you draw on all three of those parts to then work out and co-create I think is a really important word mm -hmm. with young mm -hmm. people what your response is to that as a community um, beautiful that's, that's, that's such beautiful. a beautiful vision yeah it is yeah so um it's so lovely talking to you and hearing such strong challenge. I feel really challenged listening to you, Richard. And it's so wonderful to think, actually, we can go away and reflect and just interrogate what is it 
that we feel God's called us to do with these young people that we, you know, we're to be among. 50, 20, 100 years time. Do you have any sense, Richard? I know you're not, I'm not asking you to predict the future now, but but in this faithful improvisation, we, we're kind of, we're in that liminal space, aren't we? Sort of globally as things are changing and generations are changing. What what are your hopes or what, what do you think might be what the church looks like in the next 20, 30 years as this generation um, you know, taking hold of the gospel and and leading us into this new space. What what are your hopes for how the church will be? I, I think my hopes are slightly different from what I think <laughs> might be. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I really hope that we have a much more um, a much maturer ecclesiology that kind of enables us to have the courage to follow the Holy Spirit and. Um, allow God to to pick up on where God is working and grow church from there um, in this faithful improvisation way. And I think if we genuinely do that, we will see a much more inclusive church. We will probably see there, there'll be. I think there'll be a shift from kind of the weaponized language of judgment and guilt to the loving language of Christ. And um, and that's my real hope. I think is that we we start to um, centre on love and the love of Christ and work with that with young people. I think the real key is is if we if we can kind of get to that point where we reconnect properly church and mission, um, we stop asking the question of when does this become church with all the limits that that places on it. And we start recognising and seeing that what's emerging is a beautiful possibility with all the grace and love and hope that that brings with it and the deep magic that C.S. Lewis talks about accompanying it. And we ride Aslan into the future. (laughs) That is awesome. I I know that people listening to this will want a bit more of you in their life and will probably probably want a bit of a one-to-one with you saying, Richard, just help me think differently and... Um, all those great words on ecology and ecclesiology that you just wove in so beautifully. You've really stirred our hearts today and really encouraged us, I think, to think bigger and have more confidence in what the Spirit is doing and more confidence in what's happening in young people's lives and to give them space to breathe. I really took that away. So I'm going to reflect on what happened last night in our drop-in in a bit more of a deeper way. Um, but if people do want to connect with you more, particularly anybody living sort of in the north, you've got a day coming up at Carlisle Cathedral. There are things that you're involved with. How how could people come and hear a bit more from you or connect in a bit more with what you're doing? Yeah, so particularly for people in the north, we have a Facebook group because I'm that old. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, but. Um, it's a Northern Mission Centre Facebook group. So that's probably the key way of connecting in and finding out everything that we're doing. We're often encouraging people to move north. So if anybody wants a job, get in touch. Um, and um, uh, yeah, May the 20th, we're, uh, so Cumbria is an ecumenical county, uh, but I work for the Diocese of Carlisle. And so um, we're running with, uh, other fresh expressions enablers from around the county three a one day event in three different venues Southwark, Bath and Wells and Carlisle Cathedral on fresh expressions and um, yeah come and hang out with us on May the 20th uh, we've got Brian McLaren zooming in and um, uh, yeah that's one thing and then if you're involved in 
youth ministry or pioneering in the north of England, please get in touch. We run a pioneer certificate uh, with the Church Mission Society, have lots of youth workers on that. Um, and um, we also have various bits and pieces that are open to people to come and view and see and join in the party. Fantastic. Richard, thank you so much, so much to get our heads around and so much of a good good st a story that you've stirred in us. So thank you so much. Rachel, I love it when we get a little bit of spice, a little bit of heat mm. on the Youthscape podcast. On the Nandosometer, that was definitely at the upper end. I don't know if it was extra hot, but it was definitely hot. It was great. Um, it was great. Don't you love being challenged? Good, don't you? robust discussion. Yeah. And actually, and I, it, it, I did for literally for quite a few hours after the interview. I just was wandering around the house and then the office, thinking. I got all this wrong. <laughs> like <laughs> this is really, really good challenge good. Of, of what it is that we're seeking to do on a housing estate with these amazing young people. And I think I still hold to the conviction that in our particular context, intergenerational is a beautiful gift to young people and young people to adults. But I really took to heart Richard's challenge that I was probably making quite a few assumptions mm. that I wasn't naming. I thought that was quite a good, mm. good challenge. Yeah little defensive me raise up so what do you make of that martin that idea that that challenge about that actually so often as adults we do try to control moves of the spirit that's happening among young people and we do try to sort of box it in and analyze it what what do you make of that I that won't... challenge really it comes down to trust doesn't it you know uh it's a a big question do you trust young people you know it's a big question in um in youth ministry what does it mean to trust and empower young people where is it safe to do that and where should there be you know a safety harness bigger question is do we trust the holy spirit and uh i would say overwhelmingly we we often don't um we we think we have to fight god's battles for god and we think we need to put some rules and some guidelines around the way that god might choose to act so Let's go, as we promised, to Asbury University in uh, Kentucky, I think. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and something that's been kicking off there, which, you know, just to set that in the context of the discussion that we've just heard, is uh, younger people, so college age students, running with something incredible, God appearing to move, the Holy Spirit in what, you know, pick the bones out of this theologically but showing up in some wonderful way and older people not getting in the way so not just I mean they are enabling it but also they're kind of getting out of the way in order that the younger people can can run it the whole thing and we'll talk about what it is in a second the whole thing has been sort of run by text message by a group of kind of college students so uh, a little while ago, as this uh, podcast airs, probably getting on for two and a half weeks ago, um, there was a kind of what, what you might call a sort of chapel meeting at Asbury College. And um, uh, they would normally do this for an hour in a, a you know, Thursday morning or whatever it was. And, uh, and they just at the end of it just didn't stop. 
And then they kept going and they kept going and they kept going. And this turned into hours and hours and hours of worship and people deeply experiencing the presence of God. Some people experiencing physical healings, others kind of Holy Spirit manifestations, if you want to call it that. Uh, mainly people just not wanting to leave and just experiencing mm. this profound sense of the presence of God. And then days became, you know, hours became days became, you know, at this point, as we're recording this, like a, it was a week ago, it's still going. And people have started very quickly to call this the Asbury revival. Um, mm. And of course, just, and I'll, I'll shut up after this, Rachel, and you can talk about it. But um, but the thing that I immediately thought, my immediate reaction, and I repented of it almost instantly, was really, if God's going to show up today in some meaningful way, is he really going to pick a conservative college in America? Is he really going to do that? Um, but of course, of course he could. Of course he can decide to do that because he's God. He goes where he wants. And uh, and frequently upsets any expectations you put on him, any box you tried to put him in. The moment you say, oh, we couldn't go there because those people definitely haven't got it right. Of course, he's going to go there. So it is very God that God would choose <laughs> to show up exactly where we would think right now he shouldn't. Um, and it's been amazing to see all the pictures and, and hear the stories of what's been going on there. I'm picking up on social media and as you say, as we record this, this is about day eight of it, isn't it? Mm. I'm picking up um, the kind of the very <laughs> understandable, cautious messages of this is wonderful. I really hope people in the UK don't jump on the planes and go to where it is. And I, I, um, I found myself asking, I wonder why we're saying that. And, mm. I, and I know, I know why we're saying that because we, we want to encourage people to just hunger for God where we are and my initial reaction was oh holy spirit do this in blackburn do mm. this amongst the poor do this you know i i immediately was sort of as you were saying i, I quickly labeled who these people were mm. and said do it do it for the for, for the ones that really need it god yeah. And, yeah and had to repent of that kind of why would anybody not need an outpouring of god's beautiful holy spirit um yeah. so i i think it is interesting our reactions because even though probably as we're recording and and it's still happening and and as as we hear there's no reason to believe this isn't anything other than a beautiful you know expression of god's holy spirit there's no reason to think it's anything else um we we are quick to, to even if we don't want to name it or analyze it or be cautious we still want to be a bit cautious don't don't everyone flock there don't don't all flock there mm. um and yet, interestingly, the spirit of pilgrimage is quite a deep resonance within us. Why, why wouldn't we want to? You know, if someone says, you're really thirsty, there's yeah. a tap with beautiful water over here. Like, the instinct is to go there. So, of course, you know, it's probably not wise to jump on a plane and go there. Just just allow that to happen. But I think let's not be critical of, of those well, that do. Well, <laughs> well, let's talk about that. So I think uh, I agree with you. If, if anybody just wants to jump on a plane because the presence of God has become more tangible on earth and everyone's starting to saying, you know, we don't really understand this, but God's presence is really, really like uh, experienced here in this place. Who can tell you not to go and do that? Of course, as human beings, we are created to want a relationship and a closeness to God 
why on earth wouldn't you want to jump on a plane and get there? Of course. However, if you are a notable Christian, whether this is like um, uh, and a notable Christian leader, whether you're doing this on purpose or not, there is a, a huge temptation to start to center yourself and center mm-hmm. the story on you mm-hmm. and to go there, get your camera phone out and say, hey, I'm, you know, whatever leader. Um, I'm here at Asbury. I've just recorded these pictures. Isn't this incredible? I have experienced God. And suddenly it's all about you and it's about your brand as a Christian celebrity. And I mean, all that stuff is just gross. So I'm, I'm, I'm fine. If you want to do it and remain anonymous, that's great because that's entering into the spirit of this thing, you know, unknown young Christians just thirsting after God and God meeting with them in marvelous ways. But don't try and commodify it. Don't try and make it like, you know, don't try and attach yourself to the brand of it. Like, just just don't do that. So go there that's and be a, anonymous. That's, that's a good point. So um, seeing as I'm feeling quite sassy after. You are feeling sassy. Rach, have you Who bought, do I think have you I bought am? tickets? But I, I have to say, it would not be in my radar if Miriam Swanson and Pete Gregg, two people who I do know, they're not like best, best mates of mine, but mm, I do know mm. them. And I do trust them. If mm. they hadn't have put photos on their social media accounts and said, I know these people, I think this is genuine. Um, I think we can trust this. I think I probably would have just said, oh, it's something coming out of a very conservative Christian college in America. Uh, a bunch of students who haven't got any responsibilities anyway. <laughs> they don't yeah. need to go home and put the kids to bed and let the dog out. So this is great. This is wonderful. But it's, but it's probably just lovely. You know, it's what happens probably quite regularly in other parts of the world where they just pray yeah. endlessly because two people that I know and trust have said we're using our platform just to air this and to simply say we think this is okay to pay attention to this I've I've been really and I'm going to use Christian language blessed I've been really blessed by this unfolding story because mm. it hasn't come on my radar through national press or Christian press but through two people who I genuinely trust because they're all they're, they're the real deal in my head um, I suppose to tie it in with what Richard Passmore was saying, what's interesting about it is that the reports coming out seem to be saying that the older adults, our age and above, who were there pastoring these students, seem to be doing a really good job of just looking after them That's and great. not propping up the experience. So they're opening up other venues for prayer, not to prop up the event, but just to just to allow it to happen. Mm. I imagine, Martin they're going around saying to somebody you've been here for a couple of days go and have a shower go and have a sleep mm-hmm. and get about eight hours and come back because what you don't want is an event sustained by overtired starving hungry no. i mean we're entering the realm of cult land now yeah, aren't we of course, of keep course. people hungry and, and wide awake and you can feed them anything so i imagine there's some really godly normal pastoring happening that is just allowing the holy spirit well, allowing maybe not the right word, but sort of just saying, Holy Spirit, you, you know, move here because we're, mm. we're we're paying attention to what you're doing in the whole whole body. Mm. But but what what do we do with that? So so that in that sense, what the reports coming out seem really gentle, kind. So let's think of a different scenario. Yeah. Maybe a different group of young people who, for whatever reason, it might be looking a whole lot more chaotic. Mm. It might be a move of the spirit. It looks like they're running around their housing estate challenging all the drug dealers they're running on the housing estate 
or they're running in, you know, that, that there's a kind of a justice angst that's part of this move of the spirit. Mm. And it, and suddenly as the adults or the leaders, we're like, oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> what do we do with this? Because this is the move of the spirit, but this is like, oh man, these young people are going, you know, how, have you ever been involved with anything where it's just felt like that? Like Richard Parson was talking about, like trust the Holy Spirit and trust young people. Mm. How, have you ever experienced that? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I would say um, I don't believe that God is sustaining this thing in Asprey, say, until humans mess it up. And then he's like, no, you've ruined it now. I'm going to stop pouring. Out. I don't think I don't think we have that much power. That's such a brilliant point, Martin. Yeah. I love that. So I think, That's you know, brilliant. you look at the you know, there's a lot of concern as we're speaking right now about the sort of the slightly right-wing fundamentalist group that's potentially turned up on campus and is, you know, trying to leverage this for their own, whatever their own kind of angle is. I don't, yeah. I don't think God is threatened by that. I don't think God's going to shut up shop because some, some people turned up and decided to try and, you know, um, take this Both in the wrong up. direction. <laughs> I, I don't think so. So I also think that, to t- tell it back to your example, if we actually think gosh, these young people have really been inspired to do something amazing and challenge local, let's, let's say local businesses on their ethics, but even challenge local drug dealers. Then I think if we decide to make sure that's as safe as it possibly can be, like not allowing them to go up to them in the street and threaten them, um, you know, then I don't think that's going to stop God. I don't think that's going to stop the move of God that happens. If we, if we do the best that we can, to keep these young people safe god's not going to be like no you've ruined it you've ruined it now you're trying you, tr- you tried to put too many boundaries around it i'm not playing that's not who god is that's not how god works so i think we we absolutely enable young people to um uh to take risks to to be loud and 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 outspoken and and kind of visible and do all that stuff but we have to also make sure it's all safe that they are safe because that's not going to stop god but it is going to stop something bad happening i wonder what impact um what's happening in that beautiful chapel in asbury and what maybe is happening in your youth ministry people listening to this you know you've seen young people that you serve catch Mm. something Mm. glorious and the holy spirit do something what impact does that have on our gathered times as church because that's Mm. the 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 age of the i'm going to show my age now but just there was always that disappointment every year at the start of the spring harvest and the sole survivors of this world where young people would, you know, would use the language, catch something at a festival mm-hmm. and then go back to church and, it, and just, you know, the best you could do is take back the latest song and maybe get the worship band who are terrible to vaguely practice it and sing it and just that awful kind of uh, accommodating of a youthfulness and and I, what I love about what Richard is constantly saying is you know stop stop thinking in those very small mm. terms you know, allow the Holy Spirit to do something completely outside of your concept of church and with young people who you don't even know if they're you know they've not even been raised as peer leaders even you know it's just mm. such a brilliant and Richard lives you know he constantly lives in that space so for him it's just 
such a natural kind of he expects to see the Holy Spirit to do something mm. when he's sat with a bunch of young people who are smoking weed on the park bench. Like he he expects the Holy Spirit there. And like that mm. was such a good challenge for me of I still see it as a detached thing that might lead to something else, that might lead to something else. And it was so good to have that reminder. That's great. That's great. But like but I think that's that is such a challenge for us as leaders now because I it got me reflecting, Martin. Whatever happens in Asbury or here, we are leaders who are leading at a time of such huge cultural change. Yeah. Like the church in 20, 30 years' time, you know, in terms of doctrine, in terms of practice, in terms of presence, it will look vastly different and mm. the same. You know, the body of Christ is the body of Christ and the gospel is unchanging. But you know, I, this is such a key time for us to be wrestling with these questions. And let's yep. do it as as youth workers, wherever our context is. You know, let the context agitate your view of church and, and, and how beautiful it could be to have these young people leading a move of God in our area. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the lesson from Asbury, I think, is the same lesson that Soul Survivor taught us and all the summer festival teachers and satellites and everything else, that um, when you spend a concerted amount of time with God, mm. things change for you. Like things, yes, you know, think, things change in you. And then as you go back home and you start to connect with the world again, things God uses you to change things around you or brings his kingdom through you. And our frustration always with these things is they peter out, right? The um, I remember, I still vaguely, I vividly remember coming back from Soul Survivor in about 1995 and saying to my youth leader, Sarah Warburton, obviously long-time listener of the Youth Get podcast, um, you know, it's all changed. This is it. No turning back. I'm absolutely all in for Jesus now. And she said, and it really annoyed me at the time, she was like, Let's talk about this in a month's time. <laughs> I was like, no, you don't understand. Anyway, three weeks later, I was absolutely <laughs> nowhere with this kind of passion and fire anymore. I was just back to my normal self. And, and the truth is, the lesson of these things is when you stay close to God and you spend lots of time with God, you change and, and the Holy Spirit within you is kindled in this completely different and amazing way. That's how we're supposed to be. That's how it's always supposed to be. The truth is we're just very very bad at sustaining it in the day-to-day -day. and that's why so so we don't i don't want you know i'm not praying that asbury pops up everywhere I, i'm not asking for that i just no. i i hope we'll that hungry. we yeah. can inspire a bit of hunger that that is all year round and just to kind of dine out on the beauty that is richard passmore and his beard a little bit longer he kept referring to the deeper magic and i think that's what I love that because it's it's um, Nick Shepherd also says it's our, our role as youth leaders is to help young people sense God to think oh maybe that's God doing that mm. so we have our moments come back from a festival mm. or an event mm. where, where God's presence feels so tangible and then we like oh no I've lost that but God's not gone anywhere and helping young people and ourselves sense God where are you right now what are you doing right now that deeper magic is um it's just beautiful. So, uh, so let's encourage each other, and we encourage you listening to this. You know, get get the cynical self back in the box. You know, sometimes our cynicism is helpful because it makes us ask the good questions. Cynicism is not about doubt; it's about asking the right questions. Um, but for a deeper hunger that Jesus does this 
wherever we are. Mm. Cool. Look at me sermonizing. You know what? <laughs> this has been this has been a pretty intense episode of the Usegate podcast. I love it. Oh, I love it. We're usually not. We're usually not quite this. I clever. blame your notice board behind your. It's, it it's just the looks puppets. Very, the puppets have inspired me to make this. You know very intellectual this this episode <laughs> that's it for a youthscape podcast that has been rich and you'll need to listen again uh, at least in the middle bit and um <laughs> and so a couple of things a couple of things to um to remind you of if you love the youthscape podcast and you'd like to support us and youthscape you can become a patron by going to uh, www.patreon.com forward slash youthscape and uh also, you can get in touch with us about anything, including sending us your unsung hero. And that's how we play out each uh, each week on the Youthscape podcast in this series, Tough Questions for Youth Ministry. Um, so uh, we're going to do that. We're, we're going to listen to um, uh, uh, an unsung hero. Now, if you want to send us yours, your unsung youth ministry hero, you want to tell us a story, uh, email us at podcast at youthscape.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. You could just send us a voice note or something. That'd be great. Um, but that's Rachel that's been a great episode thank you for doing most of it Uh, and here's one more unsung hero so my unsung hero is someone called Louise Turner Louise was my summer camp leader at a camp I went to for a few years when I was a teenager and she was just such an inspiration to me she so clearly lived her life for Jesus and he was the center of everything that she did I remember she would tell stories of how she would share her faith with strangers in the bus and have these amazing conversations and it blew my mind as a shy teenager myself um, that she had that kind of fearlessness and she had that kind of bravery Um, but it was clear that that bravery was from God that it was not just her Um, she was one of the first examples to me of how Christian faith is a living relationship with Jesus rather than a distant uh, religion full of rules and expectations Um, and I, I know that she doesn't know the impact that she had on my life because I only saw her for a week, a year, for a few years. Um, but she truly helped me see faith in a whole new light and see, and see Jesus in a whole new way. And for that, I will always be grateful. Ducky, but I like never, to that in. never moist. <laughs> we say that on the Tuesday podcast. <laughs> so many times. Oh, We've talked about this, gosh. Martin. We've talked about your use of the word moist. <laughs>